ministry that God has placed here in this area because God's got a great work here in Poplar Bluff. And so I want to minister to you some, some things in the Word of God. So if you'll stay standing, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. There has been a particular spirit that has been at work for a very long time, but it has been given more authority, it would seem, in the past few years. And it's getting more arrogant that I've noticed. It's getting more bold. And unless the church realizes who they are, that spirit's just going to start running over the people of God. And so we need to get a boldness. And I'll tell you how we get a boldness and how you, you get authority. The authority is never ours. It's of the Father. But the Father's going to allow you to be tested in areas. And when you do what is biblical, he'll give you authority over that thing you were tested in. And what I'm going to minister tonight, the body of Christ all across America, where I've been traveling, has been tested in this area. And if you can hold fast to the Word of God, God's going to give you authority in this area tonight. So 1 Corinthians 12, 20 says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part who lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And then he tells us the great revelation. You are the body of Christ and members individually. I want to minister to us tonight something we should all know, but I want to bring greater clarity to it. I just want to simply title this oneness. We are oneness people in every facet of that word, all the way down to the body of Christ. And so I want us to get a revelation, and I do believe that this will be a launching pad for what God wants to do through each of you. Now, would you lift up your hands and would you set your affection upon things above? Would you just begin to put that body into subjection to the things of the Spirit? Would you put a lasso around your mind and pull it, harness it, and bring it into this moment tonight, this service? Would you just begin to wrestle with your mind and say, no, we are going to listen to everything that the Lord has to say to us. And we're not just going to hear it, but we're going to apply it and we're going to walk in it. Father, this is an area that you have tested me in. And by your spirit and by your word, God, I have a testimony by the blood that you salvaged me with, God, in these areas of which I've been tested. God, I believe that the words I speak tonight, I'll be able to speak with authority because of your spirit that helped me. Father, I pray that your people tonight benefit from your word, that greater authority be given to them in the things of the Spirit. God, I believe that there is a great harvest in this area for the people of God. Father, I pray that they would hear your word tonight, apply your word, and walk into the end-time harvest that has been promised to your people. We'll never cease to give you glory. We will never fail to give you honor, God, for that is our greatest ambition, is to say to you what we will say in Revelation 5. To you deserve all glory and honor and majesty and riches and power. All of those things belong to you. So, God, we're going to practice that now. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Would you give the Lord a hand clap this evening? Praise God.
Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Proverbs 18.24 tells us that there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. It's interesting to me that the author here, in his effort to express how close God would be to us, uses the imagery of that of a brother. It would seem to me that the author is saying that on this earth you should expect that there will be nobody closer to you, more loyal to you, more accessible to you than your brother. A further implication of this text is that if the world is going to see the loyalty of God, then they should be able to look at brethren. This is why it's vital that we recognize and equally reaffirm the closeness of our relationship with one another. I was in a church recently this earlier this year between the North and South Poles, and the pastor told me that he's going to stop using the phrase brother and sister. I looked at him and I said, why are you doing that? He said, because it seems a little odd to our guest. He said that it seems a little bit backwards when our guests show up. It seems like we're a cult. And I looked at him and I said, brother, I said, with the rate of division in our nation and what's being attacking the church right now, I think that there's no better time than to reaffirm and to continue saying brother or sister. This is not a church tradition. This is not something that we just do. This is not a cult. This is not backwoods. When I look at someone and I call them brother or I call you sister, it is not me just falling into the trap of a traditional phrase or saying It is reaffirming to my flesh all over again that you are my brother. We were born into the same name, baptized in the same water. We have the same blood. We have the same spirit dwelling within us. And so for me, it is not something odd. There's something that comes over me every single time I say it. When I call someone brother or sister, for me, it is reaffirming all over again that there is someone in this room that I should defend. There is someone in this room that I should stick up for. When we get a revelation of our brother and sister and we get the revelation that they are made in the image of God Almighty, the greatest temptation that you should now struggle with should be the temptation of not bowing down to them. When you get a revelation that in our midst is the image of God, you should, not, you should now be fighting the temptation of bowing to that person because that belongs to God Almighty. It should never cross our minds to speak against our brethren. But there has been a spirit that has been having its way. It has put Caucasian citizens against African-American citizens. It has put citizens against police officers It has put Democrats against Republicans and vice versa. It has put masks against no masks. It has put vaccinated against the non-vaccinated. And someone asked me recently, they said, do you think that the vaccine is the mark of the beast? And I said, you've not discerned the greater spirit at work here. I said, has it dawned on you that there is a tremendous spirit of division that has been working its way? 
And that is the spirit that I was alluding to at the beginning of this message, that the spirit of division seems to be getting more and more bold. It's been given more and more authority. It's been given more and more against the church. It is wearing the saints of God out. In fact, on my drive here, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, entered into my mind some arguments that I want to have with certain brethren. And I began to play the scenario out in my mind. Well, what if I argue this and what if I argue that? And all of a sudden, I stopped myself and I said, why in the world are those thoughts even in my mind at this present moment? I don't ever think these thoughts. And God spoke to me and said, there's a spirit in this region that loves to talk about one. And there's people that are upset about decisions being made. And there's individuals that are angry about certain monies being spent. And they're talking. And he said, I want you to address the spirit of division and let them know I love them too much to keep them walking in that direction, that I'm calling them to a place of unity. It has burdened my soul that this filthy, arrogant spirit has found its way into the church, the spirit of division. Hear me, we are not friends. We are not just someone who visits the same church. We do not just sit in the same row. We are something deeper than that. We are something beyond that. We are something more than that, that the world is longing to see in the church. We are brethren. We are a part of a body of Christ. We are joined together. The blood that holds the bricks together in the house of God is what keeps us bound. And whenever we see a brick out of place, we don't talk about the brick. We come with the gifts of the Spirit and we nudge bricks back into alignment in the house because we want this house to be perfectly intact. We are brethren. We don't just attend the same church. We don't just sing the same songs. We don't just sit under the same leadership. There's something that goes beyond all of that. We are brethren. In fact, Genesis 13, it says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lots with him into the south. And Abram was a very rich man in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Hear this. Between Bethel, which is the Hebrew word for house of God, and Ai. The city of Ai is a unique little place. It was built on a heap of trash. And Abram and Lot are on their way back from Egypt, and they come to a place where they had cast their tents before between the place of the house of God and the city built on a heap of trash. It's interesting to me that this is the exact place between the house of God and a heap of trash is where division starts between brethren. It's in this place that if we can fully commit to the house of God, then we won't be having these little petty differences, but we're, we're good people because we're not in the world either. And this is where I see a majority of people as we, we live right in between fully committed but not fully carnal. And that's a dangerous place because we'll justify our actions. Oh, I'm just so concerned about the decision that was made. I'm just so, I'm just, I'm worried about the trajectory of their life. And what we don't know is we are right on that fine line of gossip because we're in between. The Bible says in verse 5, And Lot also which went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanites 
and the parasite also dwelled there in the land. It's fascinating to me that the Bible would show that they were surrounded by the world. And it's showing us that the world needs to see what brethren look like. In verse 6 says, Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we be brethren. It's right here that Abram prefers his brother over stuff, over riches, over things that have no eternal value. And he gives Lot the choice for the best of the land. So I ask a sobering question. What have you laid down lately for a brother or sister? Because there has to, we have to value people above things. Because there's only two things going up in a rapture. The spirit of God that's in this world and the people that are filled with that spirit. Nothing else has any value. And so when I look at the body of Christ and I see them and I, I recognize that you may have a different function as me in the body, that doesn't put us at odds. I'm just glad that not everybody's a hand because if there were, where would be the walking? I'm glad that not everybody's a foot because if so, then where would be the plowing? I'm glad that not everybody's an ear because where then would be the speaking? And this is usually where we break down is because we say, well, I'm a foot so everybody should walk. I'm a hand, so everybody should plow. I can't tell you how many times. Let me, let me word it this way. I've been doing this fun little project, Brother Dustin. I've been going to and fro, and I've asked God. I said, help me to discern the office that people walk in. And I've been asking this question. When I see an apostle, I'll ask him. i say, hey, when was Jesus most successful? And he'll say, well, it was when he left heaven and came to earth. He was sent from heaven to earth because that's what apostle means, a sent one. And I said, okay, I'll go and I'll ask the prophet. I say, when was Jesus most successful? And they'll look at me and they say, well, it was when he called the Pharisees a brood of serpents and called them back and was calling out all their stuff. And I said, okay. And I asked the evangelist, I say, when was Jesus most successful? And they say, when he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I say, okay, well, when was the shepherd most successful? It was when he was on that hillside and he looked down and saw the people and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I say, well, when was the teacher most successful? And the teacher always tells me it was when he was teaching with such authority that people were confounded or when they called him rabbi. And I went to God and I said, God, I said, I hear what they are saying and I believe all of that. I said, but when were you most successful? And this is what God told me. He said, it was when I was obedient. Nevertheless, not my will was when I was most successful. He said, my people are identifying with their function and they're not identifying with me. What we do is we, the prophet gets mad at the apostle and they'll say, the apostle needs to speak up or the pastor needs to start saying this and that and needs to start calling stuff out. Let the shepherds be shepherds. Let the prophets be prophets. Let the apostles be apostles. Let the evangelists be evangelists. Let everybody in the body do their role. Don't get mad at the person who is doing administration. Just know that administration isn't making the whole church run. It takes the whole body. But what we do is we view each other through our calling rather than viewing each other through his blood. When we recognize that it takes the entire body and the diversity of such to keep this thing moving forward, then we cease to argue and we start to appreciate 
the body of Christ. I am thankful for the prophets in our movement. I am thankful for the administrators in our movement. But I've seen it go too far and where it's just all administration to where we just move God right on out. We need godly administration in the house of God. We need somebody that comes, turns on the lights, and somebody that says, we're going to have three songs, offering and preaching. But they know that when God starts moving in the middle of one song and it breaks out, then the true spirit-led administrator will say, this is what we wanted. This is why we set up the schedule so that God could move. We don't have to get to song two and three. That's the beauty of the body because a prophet might stand up and say, I feel a word. Or the apostle might feel something to start binding in the spirit. Or the intercessor might start interceding. And there will always be somebody that has the mind of God that will say, okay, that's good. Let's keep it reined in. Let's not go too far. And then we'll say, okay, there's a word. Now somebody else speak. There's order in the body. But what happens is when we feel like our function, our calling isn't being fully utilized. And this is where we are in Abram and Lot. We see that Lot chose the best part of the land. He said, you know what? I, I don't care that we're brethren. I want that. I want to have it. My, it's my time. It's my opportunity. I have been living under the shadows for so long, I'm ready to go launch out and do my own thing. And it was at that moment that he just, the world became a magnet for him that kept drawing him closer and closer. But I love the spirit of the man of God, Abram, who said, let there be no strife between me and thee. You take whatever you want to. I'm not preferring my brethren. Me calling you brother is worth more to me than all this land. And even though there's not enough room, it seems like, for all of our herds to operate here in this place, even though it doesn't seem like there's enough water for all of what we have, I believe that there's something more important than all of that. That's because we are brethren. And let's not ever lose the re- revelation and the reality of brethren because there's Canaanites out there that's watching us. There's parasites out there that's watching us. And they need to see what brethren look like because they don't have a clue. The world is more divided than ever. And when they come into the church and see it, they look at this and they say, this is no different than Fox and CNN. I'll just go home and watch the news. And I think it's beautiful that if we're going to have a John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, if we're going to believe that and preach that and believe that, we better also have a 1 John 3.16 that says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If we're going to identify with Jesus' love for us, then we also have to identify with our love for one another. If we're going to have a John 3.16 revelation, we need a 1 John 3.16 revelation to where we will lay it all down. Let me, let me help you where God gave this to me. It was one day I was in a garage and I was working on, on some lumber and I, was, I have a table saw in my garage and I was cutting some, some cross beams and I had a, a, a sled that I'd made that I'd put the lumber on and I was just cutting these cross beams and I've worked with saws all my life and it was one particular time where, you know, if you've, if you've ever worked with saws, there's two people, those that have been cut and those that are going to get cut by the saw. That's just, that's the only two that exist. And so I'd been working with, with power tools and saws all my life and I was just, I was completely zoned out and I was just cutting this lumber and I was thinking about all the things that I was, had to do that week. 
And in the midst of just getting a little too careful with this saw or not, not being careful enough and just being too comfortable with it, my finger got sucked into that saw blade and it cut the tip of my finger off and the strangest thing never happened. When my right hand went into that saw blade, my left hand did not miraculously go up into the air and say, well, you big dummy. <laughs> That's what you get. He always uses you. He favors you. I'm not even as talented. I can't do half the things you do because he uses you more than me. Serves you right. Maybe now that you're injured, he'll start using me more often. That never took place. Something within my brain immediately said, blood's leaving the body. And my left hand grabbed my finger involuntarily. And it, when it grabbed that finger, it said, don't let any more blood leave. Don't let any more blood leave this body. And it grabbed it. And immediately, before I could even realize what had happened, my left hand came to the rescue because the left hand knew if he suffers, we all suffer. If that one's damaged, we're all going to limp now. And so my left hand jumped into action. And as I stared, there looking at my hands. I said, I didn't even form a cohesive thought. This just happened by nature. And God spoke to me in that moment. He said, that's what I long for my people to do. That without even giving thought to it, when they see damage, when they hear gossip, when they hear arguments, when they hear the whispering, you run to action and you say, no, we don't say those things here. You're going to have to learn how to be embarrassing. Let me just, let me tell you a little story of what I mean by God wants to give you authority. I was, in a, I, was in, I was at a conference somewhere between North and South Poles, and I was sitting at a table, and it was all the speakers that were prepared to speak that weekend at this conference. And I'm sitting there, and I'm enjoying a good dinner and just enjoying my time, and I, I heard one of the ministers crop up, and he started talking about people in the church. And I started getting uncomfortable, and I thought, oh, God, not now. God, you've given me a word for tomorrow that's totally opposite of what's currently happening at the table. And so I sat there just a little sheepish, a little embarrassed, and I was like, but that, that guy's preaching everywhere. If I call him out, man, I'm going to look like the big dummy at the table. And so I sat there quietly. And then another guy, he is a, he's a TV evangelist. He, was, he had come to the conference just because he'd visited this church before, and he was sitting there. And he knew, he knew all about the UPC, and he was talking too, and he was, he was talking about different people in the church. And and then somebody else piped up, another leader, and they started talking. Then one of the saints at the table started talking as well. And before I knew it, three minutes in, they're talking about everybody in the church. And so I'm sitting there, and I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I grabbed my phone, and I just kind of zoned out, and I texted my wife. I said, please pray for me. God told me to preach on unity tomorrow, and I'm sitting at a table where all the speakers of this conference are gossiping. And so she started praying for me, and the guy sitting next to me, he looked at me. He said, oh, look at old brother AJ. I bet he's telling on us. And I said, there it is. That's my door. And I looked at him, and I said, no, sir. I said, if I did, that would be gossip. And I said, and it's not supposed to be mentioned amongst us brethren that we speak this way. And I said, all of us at this table, myself included, should be ashamed because I let it go on for three minutes longer than it should have. I said, but all of you have to speak to the people of God tomorrow. And you, I said, you have no authority with your lips to say anything now because your mouth is tainted with the blood of your own brethren. I said, we should not do these things. And what crazy happened is those people came to me and wrapped their arms around me and loved on me. And they said, thank you for giving us a rebuke. The following night, I preached on it and I began to minister on unity. 
And this was so profound to me because it broke out in massive serving. People were, were hugging each other. People were loving one another. The Holy Ghost broke in that place. And then the next day, there was something that happened in, the, in their, their city that broke national news where they started allowing the churches to meet during the pandemic because at that point, it was legal to where they could shut down the church and they were fining them $1,500 a day. The very next day after these people repented and started hugging one another, something broke out into their city to where they, one of the guys in the UPC went to court and they won the court case against the state and they started allowing churches to meet. In fact, I went to this conference undercover. They, they weren't even allowed to advertise it or tell anybody because they would have gotten fined. The next day, they were able to tell everybody about it and God spoke to me. He said, when my people humble themselves, when they bow to one another and they wash each other's feet and they begin serving one another and they put aside these petty things, these petty differences. He said, then I'll hear from heaven. When they seek my face, they repent of their wicked ways. He said, I'll heal their land. There has got to be a unified spirit that hits every church across America because there is a spirit of division that is trying to bait us and to entice us out. And it always starts with a, have you heard? The reason why you're feeling a little off right now It's because there's some in this room that's been doing it. There's some of you upset about the remod. Nobody knows it. God does. Some of you are upset about decisions made. Come on, can you just let off of that a little bit? I think we could grow faster if you just stopped talking about that. And God loves you enough that he would allow the spirit to feel it. And he's saying, no, I want you to just let that stuff go, and I want you to just focus on the harvest. Worry about the field. Worry about what God's doing. Worry about what God's going to do through you, and God's going to have a powerful revival breakthrough amongst his people. But it has to get to a point where we just say, you know what, God, you're right. We've all had to do it. And when we shut it down, when we stop it, and when we stop our own mouth and everybody else's, what ends up happening is God says, I can back them up now. I can use them. I'll give them authority in those things. And so now when you go out into the world and you hear division, the moment you speak up and you say, no, 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 we're not going to say that or do that. When you do, all of heaven comes and claps their hands. Heaven can't back up hypocrites. Heaven only backs up the ones that are living in private what they're saying in public. And when we are living the things in our private life, when we're taking every thought captive and we're casting down imaginations. All angels in heaven say, there's one of the true ones. There's the ones living it. There's the ones that's actually doing it. And you have spiritual authority in these areas. And when you begin to speak, something happens in the atmosphere. Something happens in your church services. When we get unified, is it interesting to you that there was one river in the garden, but when it left the garden, it divided into four? Because everything that leaves Eden splits. I'll tell you if you're living in an Edenic place with God Almighty, where you're in a place where fruit can grow, it's when you're oneness. God is drawn to oneness because it's his explicit identity. 
when he sees the people are one. That's why in Genesis 11, it said, let us go to and let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built. Because God is drawn to unity. He loves it. He comes down and he sees it. He says, oh, these people are one. Nothing that they will do will be restrained from them. These people are like me. They're in full unity. They're in complete oneness. But if you're my body, you're going to be one. If you're like me, you're going to be one. If you're going to be completely identifying in me and made in my image, then you will be one. You won't look at people and blast them. The Hebrew word for gossip is actually Satan. That's not a name. That's a word in Hebrew. When we gossip, it's satanic. It's when we slander. It's when we say things. And we think it innocent, but it's not. Verse 6 says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one and they have one language, and this they begin to do. Now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language. Wait, God, why are you confounding what was unified? They were one, but their purpose wasn't right. Let us go to and build us a tower so that we can make us a name. And it's in that context that you're supposed to put next to it the very next chapter where God calls out Abram in Genesis 12. And he says, come out of those people into a land that I will show thee, and I will make your name great. And what does Abram build? Not a tower, an altar. When we build towers and we're unified to build edifices, God God looks at bands and says, oh, it's unified, but the purpose isn't right. He looks at baseball teams and says, it's unified, but the purpose isn't right. He looks at football teams. He looks at companies and organizations. He says, I love the unity, but they're not coming together with the right purpose. And so I've wondered this, God, if you're drawn and businesses are successful because of unity, what would happen if the church was with the right purpose and with the right image? What would you do there? Nothing would be restrained from them. God would come down. And I believe that there is in time favor that God is wanting to give his people in the last hour. I believe prophetically that just as it was in, in Matthew 24, it says, as it was in the days of no, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the son of man. In the days of no, there was a man named Noah who found favor with God in his last hour. And I believe that the same thing is going to come upon the church, that there's going to be people that are walking in favor with God. And those are the people that have altars. Those are the people that have, and they propagate, and they speak unity. They don't allow any division. They don't allow any schisms in the body. They do everything to maintain the unity. When they hear something crop up, they say, no, no, we're not going to do that. When they hear someone say, ah, another prayer meeting, they say, come on, let's go. We're going to prayer. When they hear somebody make a decision they don't agree with, they shut it down immediately. And when that happens, the church begins to move forward in end-time favor. But Brother AJ, how do we get unified Well, it was a tongue that God used to divide the people. It was a tongue that he used to bring them back as well. In that upper room, it's the reversal of Babel. 
It's people who are building altars. And he said, they're all under the banner. And they all agree on one thing. And it's, I am Lord. I believe that there's going to be a true revival in the last days where people come in and they have one objective when they get here. I want to worship God. I just want to lift up his name. That's when we can unify on worship, that he is Lord above all. And when we come in here, we may have different ideas and different functions and different offices. Some may be prophets. Some may be apostles. Some may be teachers, some evangelists. It doesn't matter. When you come in here, you may have a different function in the body. But one thing we're all going to agree on, he is Lord above all. And we came here tonight not to show forth our office, but we came here to exalt his office. That is that he is Lord above all. And when we do that, God is drawn to, and he says, there's the purpose. And when the spirit begins to move, we begin to speak with one tongue. We begin to unify in a place beyond the flesh. We begin to unify in spirit. And you want to see somebody who had authority to teach these things? Jesus had authority because he exemplified this for us in the closing moments of his life here on this earth. John 13 says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended... The devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments. You notice what's happening? He said, the office is coming off right now. Let's take off this office for a moment. Let's take off minister for a second. There's something greater that I'm going to show you. And when he took off his office and laid it aside, he went and took a towel. And he said, I'm going to put off my office for a moment, and I'm going to put on the towel of serving. And when he put on that towel of serving, he says this, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and began to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. I am so burdened. I was in a church recently where they were having communion, and they ate the bread, they drank the wine, they did all of the things that commemorate his body, but they forgot the part that commemorates the body that's still here. We commemorate the body that has been resurrected by his blood, which is the wine, and we commemorate his body that was broken by the bread that we eat at communion. But what about the foot washing? The foot washing is to commemorate the body that's still on this earth. It's his church and his spirit within it. When we sit down and we hit our knees and we take off our ministry and we put on the towel and we kneel down and we wash feet, we're saying this is the body that's still here and we're going to dedicate and we're going to anoint the body that's still on this planet. I miss good old-fashioned foot washing. I miss the foot washings where we humbled ourselves and we hit our knees and we said, I'm not above anybody right now. I, we may not always agree, but we're, gonna, we're working our way towards biblical concepts where we'll all line up. But right now, I want to focus on the preeminent thing, that we're brethren. Let there be no strife between me and thee because the world's watching us. Let's kneel down right now. Let's put on the office of servant, and let's do what he did. But there was a man who had a problem with this. Peter saith unto him, don't wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, you think this isn't a big deal? If I wash thee not, you will have no part in me. It seems that it's a pretty big deal. 
To be in oneness with him, I have to be in oneness with you. If I'm going to be close to him, then I've got to hit my knees and wash your feet. But Jesus gets more controversial. He says it's one thing to wash James's feet. It's another thing to wash John's feet. It's another to wash Peter's feet. But Judas... We are blowing it at the areas of bless those who despitefully use you. We must get back to where I don't care if you have been entertaining some things. Come here. If you're going to walk away, that's your will. You do what you want to with it. But when you walk away, I want my hands to be the last one who touched the feet that walked away. I want you to have my fingerprints all over those feet. And Jesus said, Judas, come into the room. You want to know the direction of the overflow? We talk a lot about the flowing of the Spirit. And out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water. If you want to follow the water, follow the pitcher. The pitcher was poured into a basin. There was the first overflow before there was an outpour. He said, before I send Pentecost, the outpouring there, I'm going to pour it out here first. And he kneeled down and washed his feet. He said, now follow the water. Where it's going to flow next is important. And Jesus hanging on that cross, they pierced his side, and out came blood and water. And the first recipient of the water was a man who stabbed him in the rib. You want to be in the flow? You want to flow in the spirits? Watch where that water's going. From a basin into the foot washing and from the rib onto a murderer. This is what we do. This is our calling. We are the body of Christ. This is what we do. I know that people hurt us. I know that we don't always agree with decisions made, but something has to come over us that says, that's my brother. If you want to make me mad, talk about my family. If you want to get on my bad side, talk about my family. And I'll push that even further. You want to get on my bad side, talk about the people of God. I hate it. I've had people talk to me about some of my dearest friends making fun of their standards, things they decided to do. And I had to shut down a person earlier this year. They were making fun of a friend of mine. And they said, who does that guy think he is? Does he think he's John the Baptist? And I said, that's, that's actually who I very much think he is. He's our John the Baptist of this hour. And he's saying things that need to be said. And I said, and it's interesting to me that you're upset because the Pharisees were also mad at John the Baptist. I said, and I love you enough to tell you that if you're mad at him because of that, maybe you need to check what spirit you're a part of. And see, I love you enough to tell you this. That's not divisive. That's loving a brother. You see, what we've done is we've reduced love down to a feeling. So anything that hurts your feelings is not love. That's not true. Anything that redirects and does the hard stuff is love. But we need to be able to stick up for people. Another guy was making fun of another friend of mine because he had standards. And I said, have you asked him why he has that standard? And he said, no, I just don't agree with it. I said, that's fine. You don't have to agree with it. But you need to go have a conversation with him and find out why he has it. I said, because I know why he has it, and I admire him because of that standard, because he's, his standard is in place because of a weakness he has. He's not trying to make you look less than. He's trying to protect himself because he's weak in an area. Don't make fun of somebody's standard because you don't know what they're weak in. They put it in place so that they can be closer to God. It's not because they're trying to be more spiritual than you, but we have to silence these things amongst the brethren. Musicians, come. Jesus was saying here to Peter, unless I humble myself to you, we can't really be brethren. He says this, if I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This was not a suggestion. This was not him just saying, you know what, just when you feel like it every once in a while. 
There is a tremendous need for the actual demonstrative thing of foot washing in our movement again to where we kneel down and we say, look, I've got a problem with you and I don't want one. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to bow down and wash your feet. And when we do that, heaven comes down and says, there they are. Those are the ones who are in oneness. Watch why it matters. He says, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Jesus did this knowing the heart of Judas, yet he still said, we're brethren. I know that Judas is sitting at the table. I know that I don't agree with what Judas is about to do next, but so long as he's at the table, he's my brother. And while he's on his way to do that thing, he's going to be my brother. And I want him to know I was the last one who touched his feet before he walks away. I can't control him. I can't stop him. I'm not going to argue with him. I'm going to let him do his own thing. That's the terrifying grace of God, that God lets us do what we want. Just because he's letting us do it doesn't mean he approves of it, though. But he let just know that he's wanting us to still wash feet. He then goes into the garden with this burden resting on him, and he prays this about you and me. And notice who writes the prayer. A 17-year-old kid named John. And this is what John wrote. Jesus was praying. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I'm going to give it to them, that they may be one just as I am one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. This is a profound thing because the 17-year-old John is recording the longest prayer in the garden. Matthew does not have more than a few verses mentioned of the prayer. Matthew doesn't talk about the oneness that Jesus prayed in the garden. Mark doesn't mention it. Mark was a later disciple after, but nobody told him about this. Luke, a a disciple later down the road as well, and Luke doesn't have any inside information. And it's interesting that in the garden, there is Peter, James, and John. And Jesus comes out the first time after praying. He comes out to where they are in that dimension of prayer, and he uses the plural in the Greek. He said, could you all not watch with me and pray? He addresses all three of them. It was a spiritual awakening that was happening in the garden. That's what's happening. He goes back into the innermost place and he begins to pray again. And then he comes out a second time and he checks on his disciples. And he doesn't use the plural anymore. He uses the singular. He says, Peter, could you not watch with me for one hour? That tells us by the language alone that the 17-year-old kid was awakened after the first visitation. And John said, he so graciously woke me up. I'm awake. I want to hear every word he's saying. And John heard what the Lord was praying in that inner dimension. He said, I hear him praying on oneness. I hear him talking about unity. I hear the prayer. This is why John had a gospel 
an epistle and a revelation. Nobody else got that. Paul wasn't allowed to write those things which he saw. In fact, the Bible told Daniel, he said, these things which you have seen, seal them up. Don't tell anybody about them. But the first thing told to John when he went to the Isle of Patmos and he was caught up into the third heaven is he said, son of man, write these things which you see. Because you were awake and you heard my passion of oneness amongst my body, I'll give you the gospel, and you're going to preach it like nobody else. You're going to reach people. But I'm also going to give you an epistle. You're going to speak to the saints as well. And John was the one that said, oh, if we hate our brethren, we abide in darkness. And oh, how great is that darkness. That's what he said to the church. But then he said, I'm also going to give you a revelation because you were awake. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew 24, blessed are those servants whom if I come in the first watch, the second watch or the third watch and find them awake. Blessed are they. I believe that God has been sending out a clarion call across the movement and he's waking people up right now. There's been a spiritual awakening that's been happening and some people are falling into a false awakening where they're calling unity agreement. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, listen, I don't agree with everything that's going on, but I'm going to love you until we begin to fall into alignment together. But I'm also going to tell you what thus saith the word of God, but I'm not going to be divided against you. There's other people that are calling agreement, unity. Oh, I just don't want, what it is is cowardice. I don't want to say anything to them. So I'm just going to let them continue doing whatever they want to. And our world has distorted and said, well, they're bringing about unity. No, unity is what John did. When he said, if you hate your brother, oh, how great is that darkness. And you see, that feels so straightforward. And you're like, John, come on, just ease back on that stuff. Don't say what needs to be said. You're offending people. No, he's doing to them what Jesus did to him in the garden. He said, no, I'm waking people up is what I'm doing. Because I know what it did to me when Jesus came. And he said, could you not watch with me for one hour? What if Jesus would have just stayed in the garden and said, no, I don't want to tell them to be awake. Let me just stay over here. I don't want to offend them. Because if I come and tell them, could you not just watch with me one hour? They're going to get offended and leave the church. No, there was something within him that said, I am spirit and truth. And I love them too much to let them stay asleep. So I'm going to come over there and say the hard things because I trust them to wake up. When God says something hard, it's, not, it's never mean. It's always, I trust you with this infallible truth I'm about to tell you. And God has found a people that he has trusted tonight. God is looking for unity. In fact, I want you to stand. I want you to grab your neighbor's hand. Before we go another step further into any services, the things that nobody may know about, the thoughts you've had, the thoughts you have had of, man, why are we doing this? Why are, why are we spending that? Why, why are we just, stop saying that? I want you to cast those things down right now. Your only objective is to worship the Lord. That's the only thing I want you to worry about right now. I want you to thrust your neighbor's hand up in the air. If you're in here and you've had aught with your brother or your sister, it's, it, it happens when we rub shoulders a lot. We're going we're gonna to have friction. It's going to happen. But I want you to make it right right now. I want you to begin to say, God, I want to be in perfect unity. I want this church to be oneness from our doctrine all the way down to our action. I want to be unified. I want to be one. I want to have a revival of foot washing across this body. God, if I have aught with any 
anybody, leadership or brethren across the pew. God, I want to get it right, right now. Because, God, there's people watching. We're surrounded by Canaanites. We're surrounded by the Perizzites. In fact, if you feel to begin interceding right now, go ahead and do it. Exercise that gift. If you feel led to just go and pray for somebody, if if faith comes over you and you want to go hug somebody's neck, go ahead and just step out and do that. Whatever you do, just begin to humble yourself right now. And heaven's going to come into this place and say they've been tested in the areas of division and now they're passing and I'll give them authority in the spirit realm. God's going to begin pouring out authority on each of you because you're in the area right now of authority. God's going to begin pouring it out because you're humbling yourself. I want you to lift up your hands high now and I want you to receive the authority that heaven's going to pour into this room. I can feel angels in this place right now. The angels are going to and fro and I can see them handing gifts to people and I can see on the package what the gift says. It says greater authority, greater authority, greater authority is being given to those in this room right now. Come on, that's it. Reaffirm it right now to yourself. That's my brother. That's my sister. There's nobody on this planet that I'm going to love more than them. There's nobody I'm going to stick up for more than them. I may not agree with what they did or what they said, but God, that's between you and them. And God, if you lead me to say so, I'll go directly to them and I'll say what you tell me to say. But I'm not going to say it behind their back. I'm going to go to them and say it if you release me. Mm. Mm. Ah, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get this revelation. Do you know what what gossip is? It's misaligned authority. God planted the concern in you, and you saw the problem. That's That's not a bad thing. But rather than going to the person with what you felt, you said it to the other person. You've already, it's, it's this pseudo-authority because you feel strong when you talk about somebody. But when you're saying it to the wrong person, it's actually a hole in the bottom of the boat that's sinking you. The authority's been placed on you where God has said, now, now hear me, we're building a house right now. And I paid good money 
I hired a home inspector. His entire job is to walk through my house and look for problems. Paid him to do this. And this is what he told me. He said, before you cover anything up, I need to see it. He said, before you ever pour concrete, I need to look at the footings to make sure it's up to code. He said, because once you cover it up, it's hard to repair. He said, before you put sheetrock on the walls, I want to inspect the plumbing. I want to inspect the wiring. I want to inspect the framing. Because once you cover it up, it's hard to see. This is what's happening is it's okay when, when you feel something. First thing you need to do is go pray about it. And just say, okay, is, is what I'm, is this, am I being given the gift of assumption? Or the true word of knowledge or discerning of spirits? And often the way you'll know is you'll discern your spirit first. And when you discern yours and you see that your spirit's in alignment with the word of God and you still feel this increasing burden, then God is saying, okay, I'm giving you the opportunity of home inspecting. Go and talk to this person about what you felt. Don't go to anybody else, though. Don't go to the neighbor. Don't go two houses down. It's not even their house. This is that homeowner's house. Go and inspect those walls and go and let them know what you felt. And after you've done it, wash their feet. But what happens is we go down the road to everybody else's house and we're telling about what's wrong with the framing. God put that on you. That's why the Bible says, if you see a brethren overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. God has given you something and said, okay, I want you to go tell them. Before they cover it up, let them know that the walls aren't covered. I see all things, and I'm doing it through a brother. God could give them a dream. God could give them a vision, but he doesn't. He always sends a brother, always sends a sister. Why? To test us and to test them how they're going to respond to a brother or a sister. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab that neighbor's hand again. And I want you to pray that they receive every blessing that you've been asking God for. I want you to pray that they operate in a dimension of the spirit that you've been wanting to operate in. The finances that you need, pray it over your brother. Because if the body's blessed, we're all blessed. If the blood's leaving the body, we all suffer. Begin to pray that right now. Come on, that's it. That's it. If you've said something to anybody about someone else in this church, go and apologize to the person you gossip to and say, I'm sorry I told you all that. That was none of your business and I put on you a burden you didn't deserve. Just go ahead and make it right. Confess your faults one to another. That's like foot washing when you humble yourself. Go ahead and just 
do that tonight. If you got to make a phone call on the way home from church tonight, whatever you got to do, just let them know, hey, I shouldn't have told you that. I shouldn't have said those things. Just let's go ahead and get it right because God's going to do a work in your in your midst. He's going to do a work in this church. And God's looking for people that are in one mind. They're in one accord. They're coming together and they're saying, God, we want the harvest. We want moves of God. We want you to be Lord above all. And we want to be your body. We want to look like you, act like you, sound like you, be like you. Everything you did, we want to pray it as well. If you prayed for oneness in that inner dimension of the garden, that's what we want to pray as well. God, let us pray the way you pray. Let us pray for oneness. We're not praying for agreement. We're praying for unity. There's a difference.